Amen. Y'all can go ahead and be seated. As mentioned earlier, my name is David Dyer. My wife, uh, Maddie, with our beautiful uh, near one-year-old who is a hot mess, but a sweet joy to have around uh, Carlina. Yes, so as kind of mentioned earlier, my name is David. I work over at CSU, so that's kind of how I got to know Pastor Brian as well as Pastor Walter and had the opportunity to get a chance to talk with them over uh, a couple months ago. I've been working at CSU for the last couple years in our campus ministries department, and it's bittersweet for me to kind of say that because I know in just a short few months that's actually going to end. Uh, as, as we look to later this year, Maddie and I are looking at moving overseas. We're in the process of doing that. Uh, and that's kind of how we were able to continue the conversation with Pastor Brian and Pastor Walter. And thankfully, through the Lord, the gracious opportunity to kind of be a partner with y'all in that. And so one, I just want to kind of say thank you in that. Thank you for y'all's service and faithfulness to this church and even kind of the guidance through them to be able to partner with us in that. If you've got questions in those logistics and those details, if you want, we want to talk with you. We love talking with people. Um, we'll be down here to the side at the end of the service, but I want to turn to Psalms. As we were kind of talking, as we were kind of figuring this out, I, I asked, you know, what are, what, what's the church going through? And uh, I was talking with Walter at the time, and he was like, you know, we're about to start Psalms. We're about to start a whole new series. And I was like, okay, that'll be fun. Uh, and as, as I was praying over it, the Lord just really kind of laid on heart. Obviously, this was not hard as to what passage to find out, because if you're starting a series in Psalms and don't start with Psalm 1, you might be doing something a little off. <laughs> So in thinking through it, in reading, my mind, well, if I do Psalm 1, you can't do Psalm 1 without Psalm 2. So today, this morning, we'll spend both Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 as our passage. And if you have your Bibles, follow along. I think they'll have it here as well. And uh, read with me. And it says in Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O kings of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for the wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed 
are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship, to come and gather together as a body of believers, as the church, to lift high your name, to see forth your word preached, to sing forth your praises and the, 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 the truth of what you have done on our cross, that you have died for our sins, rose from the grave. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to come before you because you have enabled that for us. Lord, in this time, I pray that what you have would be laid forth. Lord, if there is anything that comes from me and out of my heart, I ask that it be forgotten so that all that remains is your word and your truth deeply impressed upon our hearts so that all we can do is change. God, I thank you for this time. We worship you and we love you. And in your name we pray. Amen. So Psalms, the book of Psalms, if you don't know what it is, Psalms is basically a collection of Psalms. Well, psalms means song, like what we just did. We sang songs. Psalms are written as poems for the Jewish people. On a, on a Saturday, whenever they would have a Sabbath or Shabbat, they would often sing psalms. They would go through in Hebrew and sing these songs over and over and over, and they have all these different types. And so think of a song, just like what we have today. We have songs that portray what? They portray emotion. They portray stories and feelings. They're, they're, they're rhythmic. They, they have a tune to them. They have a melody. They have harmony that coincides. Songs are so intricate with how they're made to convey its message. And that's exactly what's the case here. Now, we don't have notes, uh, no, notations with regards to this is the tune that they sang Psalm 1 to. But no, but the, the purpose of this whole book is to convey Songs. It was quite literally a hymn book for the Jewish people in the Old Testament. But as you look at Psalms and you look at songs particularly, you can see how they relate to each and every single one of our lives, right? Like there's different types of Psalms. There's Thanksgiving, there's Psalms that sing Thanksgiving and praise to God, like Psalm 100. There's songs of lament and, and anguish and pain that David walks through because he's written a few of them. There's songs of just pure joy. There's songs of all sorts of different types. And you can, if you ever want to, just look up. You know, I'm, I'm feeling this. What psalm kind of conveys this? And I guarantee there will be one that conveys that same premise. And so as I was talking with Pastor Walter about this initial time, I wish I recorded what he said because what he said was so good. But basically, in short, it was in saying that the, the purpose of this whole series and uh, the, the, whole, the heart behind it is for this church, for y'all to walk through this, this precious book and encounter emotion in which to sing forth worship to God, to bring forth an understanding of what worship is and to see examples of it over and over and over through these particular psalms. And so that's the question that I want to start off as we look at Psalm 1 and 2. My first question, if you, for, to get to know me short and sweet, I ask questions a lot. I love asking questions. I often say I never left the toddler stage, and I always ask why, because that's the case of what I continually do. Why is that the case? What does that look like? How does that happen? And so we'll do that again. And so what is worship? In short, what is worship? 
Well, looking it up, worship is, I got two different definitions. One, worship is basically humans that recognize God for his attributes and express this through adoration, praise, thanksgiving, service, and living a holy life. They recognize God for who he is and then express that through these various things. They express it through adoration. They express it through praise, through thanksgiving, through service and living out a holy life. Another very simple Google definition is that worship is, is adoration or reverence towards someone or something, right? Simple and sweet. Just reverence towards someone or something. So the question that I immediately think of is, how does worship look like in my life? If worship is to be, in our sense, geared towards God, we can worship a number of things. We can worship our children. We can worship our job. We can worship our money. We can worship a total variety of things. But the question is, do we actually worship God for who he is? What is worship? Well, this morning we'll go through three things. The fuel of worship, the focus of worship, the fulfillment of worship. Uh, as I was talking to Pastor Brian this morning, he was telling me about these journals. I love that idea. I love taking notes. I love doing that. And so when he said that, that some folks are taking notes, I'm like, I can talk like that. I can convey that. So the, the thought is today is the beauty of worship with the three things, the fuel of worship, the focus of worship, and the fulfillment of worship. Those are the three things we'll walk through, and that's what will come through in Psalm 1 and 2. So what is worship? Number one, the fuel of worship. A, a, a professor of mine in, in college says, you know, right theology fuels right worship. Look at this blessed man. Look at Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but what? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This blessed man that appears in Psalm 1 is taking his time and effort to getting to know God, to worship God in the midst of studying theology. Now, uh, don't, don't, don't kind of tune me out when I say the study of theology, because theology is purely the study of God. It is getting to know who God is. I work at a college, I work with college students, and my goal this last year was getting them to live out their faith, to carry out the gospel on the day-to-day -day basis. And the one thing that we said over and over and over again is go share the gospel, go tell other people about Jesus. Well, in order to do so, I have to teach them theology. I have to teach them who is Jesus. Who is God? Who are they talking about? That's theology. Theology is something so important to the Christian life. That's why I love getting to see the catechism verses because that is theology taught by this church to instill into your lives because the minute you get to understand theology, you get to actually worship God. The more you know theology, the more you get to study it and spend time in it, you actually get to worship him. And so if you think of the story of Ruth and how, G, how uh, God is like our kinsman redeemer, we get to immediately worship him in a whole new sense. If we look at the story of, <clears throat> of Job and how God is just continually faithful, but still just, but still faithful, we get to worship God in a new sense. 
If we see the life of Jesus as a whole and the love and the care in which he gave for us, we get to worship God in a whole new sense. Psalms portray aspects of who God is throughout the entire book. And so as you take notes, as you read through it, find characteristics of God. Who is he? What did he do? Right theology fuels right worship. Now, the, the, the negative connotation that goes with theology, trust me, I'm at, a, I'm at a college that teaches Christian studies. Now, that's my degree. That's what I love doing. That's what I graduated with. But, but in the midst of that, if you come across any Christian studies program, you will have, and I'm sure you probably have in some time in your life, come across that particular person that is just head over heels over everything theology. And they will argue, and they will debate, and they will do everything they can. And I'll be honest, it saddens me because that's not the goal of theology. Yes, theology is an opportunity to get to know God, but theology is not a means by which that's everything we get to spend our entire lives on. The purpose of theology is to worship God. That's why this blessed man in Psalm 1, he delights himself in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. He does it in such a way so that he carries after his heart towards God. Not just to know more. Not just to build up his knowledge. That's not the point. Right theology fuels right worship. And I'll be honest, the more and more and more people can sometimes study theology, and if their focus is so much on theology itself, it's a distraction. Because it's not focused on God. They begin to worship the study of him versus the person and being of God himself. Don't, to paint a picture, look at Jesus. Jesus, in in Matthew chapter 4, he's in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And what does Satan do? Jesus, after a long period of time, had, had not had any food, had not had any drink. And Satan comes and he says, you know, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Guess where he got that from? The Old Testament. Theology. But Jesus' focus was not on the nature of what God is and knowing about God, but the, honestly, the worship to God. And so he says, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. What is Satan doing? He is using scripture itself, theology, to some degree, but uses it in the wrong sense. Theology is a very good thing, but theology can also be a very big distraction. Again, Jesus comes and says, again, it is written, proper theology. You shall not put the Lord your God to test. Why is theology important? Because we, with it, we worship God. With proper theology, we worship God. That's why these songs are so important. Stop and think. Maybe not even listen. Maybe not even uh, follow along with the two. Just read what the words say. Take a minute and listen. The fuel of worship, right theology fuels right worship. That's why whatever I say, check what I say. Because I am not God Almighty. I am not his word. 
I'm a fallen man, and if I say something that does not go in line with this, kick me out the door right now. Because right theology is so important. Why? It's the fuel of theology, but it's also the focus. It's the fuel of worship, but it's also the focus of worship. Look back at Psalm chapter 1, and he talks more characteristics of this blessed man and, in fact, of who he is, but then it kind of carries out this dichotomy, this comparison between the wicked and the righteous. But then later on in, in chapter 2, it says, Why do the nations rage? Why in the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, that's interesting. His anointed. His anointed, that, that, word, that word is uh, Mashiach in Hebrew, which just transliterated, which is just written in English, Messiah. The Messiah means anointed one. Christ means anointed one. Who are we talking about? We're talking about these, these people, this wicked people, these nations that rage and the peoples who plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against, together against who? The Lord and his anointed. Against God. Against Jesus. So as we look at what the focus of worship is, this blessed man is not one in which that he coincides with the nature of sin. Chapter one, he does not walk in the way of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He completely separates himself from such things to what? Delight himself on who? God. But in chapter two, we see this wicked in the, uh, versus this rush. This wicked, who do they focus on? They focus on themselves. They set themselves up. They, they're like, why, why, why is this such a bothersome to us? And they say, you know what? Let, we will separate ourselves from that. The focus of worship is God. If we do not have that forefront in our mind, then what are we worshiping? It, like I said with these college students, I, uh, the, the premise was reach, raise, release. Reaching people for the gospel, raising them up in the gospel, and releasing them in the gospel. Evangelism, discipleship, and missions. I cannot do that without giving them the right perspective of who God is. So for the first little bit of that series, we walk through the names of God. The focus is God. And the minute we distract ourselves from that, the minute we begin to focus on our job, or the minute we begin to focus even on our ministry to some degree, even on our household and our family, even in whatever these good things can be, if they take the place of God, our focus is skewed and our worship is not right. God is so concerned with this because he's concerned about his name. And we'll look a little bit into that in the last point. But the focus of worship is God and his son. That's why it's against God and his anointed. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords. This is God. He who sits in the heavens laughs. This is God establishing his son. The Lord holds them in derision and he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have what? I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God has established his people, the direction for which who are there to look. Mount Zion is a mountain in Jerusalem, mountain in Israel for which it is supposed to be the figure, the, the place of worship. It is supposed to be the place in which people look up to. 
Why? Because it is supposed to commemorate who God is. My holy hill, I will declare, I will decree, Lord has said to me, you are my son today, I have begotten you. The focus of worship is God. In order to know God, we must know him. Again, theology. But even in this last little bit, from, from the fuel of worship to the focus of worship, we also have this idea of the fulfillment of worship. And this, the, the fulfillment of worship is basically the nature of God's completed goal, right? Relationship with man. Heaven, what is heaven going to be like? Heaven is going to be all eternity worshiping God. So if you don't like it now, get used to it. Sorry. But I'll be honest, if, if you don't like it now, it's probably because of one of two things. You don't have the right, right view of God or your heart is in the wrong spot. Because the minute we get to see God for what he did on our cross, trust me, you'll want to worship him. You'll want to tell other people about him. The fulfillment of worship is eternity with God. So as we look at Psalm 1, we see this man who, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. Who is he? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and his leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. This blessed man is not us because I can't do what he does. I don't meditate on his word day and night, but I can tell people about him. This blessed man is, is portrayed later in chapter two as the anointed, as this king established by God. This blessed man is Jesus. This blessed man is the one in which he says in verse chapter two, verse says, the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And the, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessels. Now therefore, O kings, and this is God's decree to the wicked, kings be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That is worship God. And what does he say? He says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The fulfillment of worship is eternity with God. The focus of worship is God himself and the fuel of worship is right theology. So what? So what? what? What does all this have to do? Yes, worship is a good thing. Yes, we come on a Sunday morning to come together in worship, but what does all that have to do with anything? What does all that mean? It's declaring who God is. See, worship is not necessarily just Sunday morning at 11 a.m. for an hour or Wednesday night for an hour. Worship's not that. That's not worship. In fact, all throughout Scripture, we so often call this church, I go to church, 
will you come to my church? Yes, that is the vocabulary and the language, but that was never, ever used in Scripture. Church is quite literally you. And this time is worship. And as they would have time with family, it would be worship because the thought is to continually praise and adore and thank God. That's why in, in, Psalm, or in Thessalonians, Paul uses pray without ceasing. Worship is to be every aspect of our life, day in and day out. Every single time I open my eyes, every single time I pray, every single time I eat, every single time I wake up, every single time I dress, it is worship to God to honor him and praise him and thank him. It's important for this. The fulfillment of worship is so that the world knows God. It's missions. It's evangelism. It's discipleship. It's our Christian life. The fulfillment of worship is so that the world knows God. John Piper says in a quote, he says, you know, missions exist because worship doesn't. And I love that thought. Because think about it, if, if worship is something to be carried out in every aspect of our life, if worship is to be something that we do day in and day out, over and over, like this blessed man, we, can, we are not him, but we can mimic him just as we are to mimic Christ. He meditates on what? The law, day and night. And so he knows it in and out. Why? So he can tell people about God. So he can worship God. And so if worship is every aspect of our life, let me ask you, where does worship not exist? And the easy answers are in other countries, right? Worship doesn't exist in Japan. Worship doesn't exist in uh, parts of India or parts of Russia or in France or in Spain or throughout Africa or down in South America. Part, they're, they're, it's easy for us to immediately think of missions and go to the thought of, oh, that's, that's in these different countries. People don't know God. And that is true. But also take a step back and think, where does worship not exist? Does worship exist in your house? Does worship exist when you go on vacation with your family? Does worship exist at your job, in your car? Does worship exist there? Because if it doesn't, it needs to. And if it doesn't, you can bring it. Knowing God and who he is, you can bring worship with you in the places that you go, but the the catch is, you must know God. If you do not know him, you cannot worship him. And so what does that look like? That looks like telling people about Jesus. That looks like our daily conversations talking about God. That's why this blessed man is like a tree planted by streams of water. He is like a man who is continually of the source of life. He is someone who his leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Why? Because he spends his time with the Lord. Because he is Right theology fuels right worship. You cannot worship God without first knowing him. And if that's the case, where does worship not exist? Because I'll tell you this, there will come a day where everyone on earth will bow a knee to God. 
And our prayer and our goal is to get them to do it in a willing way, in a way in which they love to, in a way in which they want to, because there will be a day that will come where everyone on earth, under the earth, or uh, above the earth, on earth, and under the earth, where every day will bow the knee to God. It's a question of whether or not they willingly want to. So whether or not they have stepped into an understanding of what God has done for life. It is an understanding of which we go and share the gospel and tell them of it. And God works in their life. God, te- God enlightens their heart to see the truth of the gospel, to see the truth of who he is. Again, right theology. So when we come on a Sunday morning, what is our worship like? When we come on a Sunday morning, do we have our hearts reverenced after God? Or or am I thinking of what, what my goals are for the week? Am I thinking of lunch? Or am I thinking of, I really don't want to talk to that person? <laughs> or I really want to go talk to that person? Or is our focus on God? If you don't know him, you can't worship him. I'm sorry. Ask ask what that means. Ask Pastor Brian. Ask Pastor Walter. Ask me. Ask your church leadership. What does that look like? You know, I don't know that. Or how can I better know God? How can I better spend, uh, learn theology? Trust me, one of the most exciting, this is for me at least, but I can probably say this is the same for your pastors. One of the most exciting things a pastor loves to hear is, how can I learn more about God? What books would you recommend? Like, that's exciting. Like, getting to share, oh, read this, read this, read this. This will help you with X, Y, Z. Like, that's fun for us. Like, if you ask questions, if you ask pastors questions all the time, like, that is a genuine, fun part of doing this. Because I get to talk about who I love. I get to talk about someone that I dearly love and want to tell other people about. That's my teacher heart in me in the sense that I get to share a knowledge that God has given me so that they can worship him. I don't, I don't want to come and show how well I know all these different things. That's not the purpose of theology. It's to know him. Theology is for every single one of us. Please look into it. It is to focus on God. And it's the fulfillment of worship so that all may know Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Be considerate in the midst of that. Why? Because having this mind, having the mind of unity, having the mind of worship among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This is what Jesus did. He gave up himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the truth and beauty of worship. This is what God is and has done. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will worship. It's a matter of the heart behind it. And it's my prayer for us today that as we go out, outside of these four walls, outside of this space, is to tell other people of worship. To tell other people of God. And let it be in such a way that it's normal in our lives. Because that's the way it is in Psalm chapter 1 and 2. It sets up the heart of what the rest of the book is, which is worship. And so he says, and I'll just read just Psalm 1 again. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. He, in all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. But are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so, Father, as we come to you this morning to come and worship, to finish our time this morning, it will not be an end of our worship, but it will be just a means in which we focus in on you and carry out the great commission of what you have commanded us to do to tell people about you. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to worship you. I thank you for this opportunity to gather together with a whole bunch of believers as a church to come and lift up your name so that as we leave this day, as we go out into the different places that you are declared and you are made known through our lives. Lord, I thank you for what you've done, the decree of establishing your son as king to send forth him before us because without him, we could not worship you. So Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you for your love. And I thank you for your heart. In your name we pray. Amen.